Ah! That was my sound test. It is an anguished cry. <laughs> <laughs> is the mic working? <laughs> Great. <laughs> mic check. Mic check. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to remind you that the information contained within this podcast reflects our own personal opinions and should not be held as any kind of official recommendation. That's right. This podcast is for our own purposes. It's educational mm-hmm. and, and for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Edutainment, if you will. <laughs> We're just a couple yahoos with master's degrees, and this isn't a professional capacity. So if as you're listening to an episode, you feel that maybe you need help with your own mental health, please do contact your own doctor or a therapist. And finally, we try to stay pretty clean with this podcast, but sometimes we slip up and sometimes we just talk about weird stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> it might be not safe for work. You'd probably better listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips. The podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. How's it going, Mom? Oh, it's okay. <laughs> How's it go with you, Anna? pretty um yeah it's okay (laughs) so sipsters yeah we have those kind of days Uh, just like you have where you're like "Eh, i'm making it the past six months have been like that for me really Mm. (laughs) like i'm sorry uh, to hear that no it's okay do we have any pre-roll before we get into our topic today Uh, we have a review from a lovely listener that's my sound effect this is from Rocky. It's from Rocky for Real on Apple Podcasts. She says, five stars, super smart. These two have an excellent way of delivering their content from a place of well-researched non-judgment. The show itself is super interesting, and I feel like I'm learning while simultaneously being entertained. Plus, I love their rapport. Aww. Yeah, so thanks, Rocky. Rocky has uh, her own podcast, Wild Nights with Rocky, so she talks to people about their wild nights that they've had. So, Oh, that yeah. would be fun. I'm going to listen to that one. woman-led podcast, if you're looking for that, to your add to your repertoire. That was very good French. Repertoire. Woman power. Woman power. Okay. That's all I got for pre-roll, though. Woman power. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, Rocky. Yeah. We appreciate it. Okay. So we're on episode 90? Yep. 90. Nope. 91. <laughs> nope. 94. The 94, yeah. Oh, 94. <laughs> we're getting there. We're, I was just thinking today, when we hit 100, 100, we're going to have to like have a, we're, you and I are going to have to have like a, when we do our 100th episode. We're I think our 100th have to episode, get we'll have to get blitzed and we'll have to, I think, do Freud again. 100 jello we'll to, shots. What? We'll Oh, my God. <laughs> Mom's eyes just got so big. <laughs> yeah, that's not happening. We'll die. We'll For both be dead. 100th episode, we die. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not my plan. I would like to live to be 100 years old. Not and 100. then we'll have 100 years If I live to be 100 years old, then I will do 100. Yeah, we talks. have it on record. Okay. I'd have to feed me through this a This is a verbal contract. That's why it's jello. Why do you think they make jello shots? So our elderly can participate. Well, that would be me. Okay. So what is our episode today, Anna Marie? Our episode today is on narrative therapy, which I believe you suggested. So I how did. did how did you come to want to do that? Because I just actually went to a little workshop. 
about narrative therapy. And we had talked about it in grad school and stuff. And actually, you seemed attracted to it even more than I. (laughs) Attracted to it. Because you're a writer. I have written. Yes, you are a writer. Mm -hmm. But the thing that struck me about it as I was at this workshop thing was that a lot of it I do. Yeah. And I think the more I do therapy as a therapist, I discovered that a lot of the theories overlap and are very similar and a lot of it's just the same stuff with different names honestly Mm -hmm. just i know smack a different label on it call it your own theory you're good (laughs) and we've talked about how in grad school it was very pressed upon us that you have to pick a theory and that's your theory and you gotta like really be core about it you cannot use anything else yeah you cannot be eclectic at all because That was kind of a dirty word in grad school. But the further I get from grad school and the more I get into the real world of therapy, I realize that you... You You you, can't escape being eclectic because you're going to use things from other disciplines. Exactly. You're going to use things from other theories. And sometimes different theories fit better with different situations. And that's just how life is. Exactly. So unless you go to a therapist that's like specifically says they do DBT or CBT, but although CBT is like part of almost everybody's therapy... But unless you go to somebody who says, because there are some who say they're, they are a yeah. narrative therapist. Sure. That that's what they do. Unless you go to someone like that who's very specific about their own Yeah, pretty theory. much any counselor you go to, I think you could be like, can we try some narrative therapy? And they'll be like, sure, let's yeah, explore let's some narrative that. therapy. Yeah. yeah, like I think most counselors would be open to that. Mm-hmm. So kind of as we go through it today and talk about what narrative therapy is and what some of the techniques are, I would like to just kind of put in there here and there, yeah, I do that. Or, you know, that goes with being a humanist. Sure. It's yeah. very, it's and very there's humanistic. there's a lot of existentialism in narrative therapy yes, too. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's our thing. Those that's, two. Those two things are ours and no one else can use them. No. I will sue you <laughs> if you try to use existentialism. I think you're a little late on that <laughs> boat, Anna. That's fair. Okay, so where do we start? We start about how old is this therapy and who came uh, up with it's it? It's relatively recent, actually. It's probably one of our newer ones it's that we've ever new, talked yes. about. Uh, mm. Narrative therapy was developed in the 70s and 80s mm. by a social worker from New Zealand named Michael White. We love those Kiwis. That's what they call <laughs> themselves, right? Kiwis? Really? New okay. Zealand people do, don't they? I'm sorry. I'm well, now not, I'm second guessing. I'm not very so. cultural when it comes to those kind of words, but okay. <laughs> but the the key therapeutic ideas that that White kind of put forward about narrative therapy included externalizing the problem, so kind of putting the problem outside of the person that's struggling with it, and that's usually kind of summarized within the therapeutic community as the person is not the problem; the problem is the problem. Right. And that's something that is very core to narrative therapy, and it kind of shows up in all the different techniques that we're going to be talking about. But the key of the narrative therapy is reauthoring the story of your life. Is you're going to work with this therapist to rewrite your own narrative. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it kind of emphasizes like the stories that we develop and we carry with us through our life. And and that's, I think that resonates with me just because everything is a story. Mm-hmm. When we were, you, you mentioned grad school. When we were in grad school, the same professor who was very like, you cannot be eclectic, would say like, don't let clients do storytelling. Yeah. Don't let them tell stories. And I was always very personally offended by that because, like, everything is a story. I hope he never listens to our podcast. Eh. 
You can find no me. offense. I learned some things from him. Sure. We're not naming him. But it was, <laughs> a, it was the same professor who told me that I should not be such a cheerleader. It was the same professor who told me that I'm too cerebral. <laughs> so. The most empathetic person, Anna Marie, uh, that I've ever met is too cerebral. She's, have such she's a big, wrinkly she's brain. She's freaking smart, which is probably what was confusing no, him. No, but I think he he was saying that I like intellectualize too much. Yeah. Which I, I do sometimes as a defense, but I don't nearly think as you much do it as, as I don't think you do it as a therapist. You maybe do it to so. yourself. Sure. Yeah. But I, I can't see you doing that. I cerebralize that. myself. Yes, you do. But yeah, the point is... We did learn some things from that uh, that <laughs> professor, but there were some things that we didn't agree with. Yes, that's um, very and true. and that was always one of them. That was uh, that always like don't let them tell stories because I got to tell you, my clients tell me stories all the freaking time. Mm-hmm. But we use those stories to explore what is important to them and what has affected them and how it's affecting them and how they're moving forward with it. Like, why would they be telling me this story if it wasn't important to them in some way? Right. So that is kind of where narrative therapy goes. I think it also builds rapport, which is one of the things we're supposed to do in therapy. We're supposed to build rapport with our clients. So if we listen to their stories in a non-judgmental way and just let them explore where they want to go with Mm -hmm. that... I think that builds rapport. So and if it's we're important. able to like reflect the feelings that are in there and right. summarize things, it shows that we're listening actively. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's okay to tell stories. Just don't be afraid to go deeper with the stories. Right. One of the things that struck me when I was looking at one of the articles that I read about narrative therapy, it said that the model was built on three main ideas. And it was like, do, 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 these are the three main ideas. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to tell you what they are. And then I'm going to see if that, you know, like sounds like any other kind of therapy. I don't know. <laughs> Ooh, see, if, see if it hits any, just sounds familiar. Yeah. Huh? So the first one is narrative therapy is respectful. Okay. Like uh, no other therapy. Yes. Right. <laughs> It requires that each client be treated as an individual. <laughs> sure. Um, okay. And not defective. Okay. And not treat the client like they are not enough in any way. Okay. So I'm sorry, but if you go to a therapist who makes you feel like you're not yeah, enough, you're in the, you're the wrong, in the wrong place. But... Please go somewhere else. Yeah. And that person's probably in the wrong profession. <laughs> I did actually just literally yesterday had a new client who said she had gone to therapy elsewhere and she even said that it was a faith-based mm-hmm. counselor which you know I I you know I would think that would be very affirming to go to Hopefully. a faith but she said um, that every time she would leave that therapist's office that she felt this big and she Aww. made that little symbol with her fingers like an inch. Aww. You know, I told her, I'm so sorry that happened to you and give me a chance to change your idea, well, to change the, the narrative. Yeah, to change, exactly. And yeah. that's a really good example of it because now that story is what she might use to generalize about other therapists. Right. So we have to give her the chance to rewrite that, to right. reauthor that story. Exactly. Okay, so the first one is that narrative therapy is respectful. The second one is narrative therapy is non-blaming, which to me is just another word of another way of saying respectful. It says problems emerge in everyone's lives due to a variety of factors. But in narrative therapy, there is no point in assigning fault to anyone or anything. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean. I see that on your face. That's what I'm feeling. Yes. There's sometimes where we have to both accept fault and be able to accurately place fault. Because sometimes that's part of what needs to happen in therapy is that a person needs to take responsibility for something in their life in order to move forward and also to accept that they can say this person did something to me. Well, exactly. Like that that definitely goes both ways. 
there are some clients who they need to work on the accountability and saying, oh, this was a choice that I made or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they're also, and I think more likely, I've worked with more clients who ascribe blame to themselves for trauma that someone Someone else else has done to them. Exactly. So, I mean, again, it's about the balance where we need to be able to do both. And that ascribing blame to yourself when it's really someone else that's doing it as such, giving you trauma in whatever way, that again, you can you can reflect this narrative therapy on that, that once you get that recording in your head that when crap happens, it's my fault. Right. That's my story. When crap happens, it's my fault. And so then that's your story that you build on. And from there on, whenever crap happens, you it's know your who fault. you're going to blame. Yep. Right? And again, it goes back to that, like, which I do really like about narrative therapy is people not seeing themselves as broken and not seeing themselves as the problem. Mm-hmm. And that goes with being able to to kind of, that that person is not the problem, problem is the problem thing, where we're able to externalize it. You you use that a lot. I've heard you use that a lot. It's catchy. And I it's like kinda, those catchy little therapy things. I do too. I use them a lot. Yeah. Okay, so, so therapy is respectful. Narrative therapy is non-blaming. And the third one is narrative therapy views the client as the expert. I like that too. So really though, I look at those three things and I'm like, those are totally humanistic. Yeah, those are very humanistic. It's just, and so we've talked about this before. The humanistic kind of is a big umbrella and that several therapies, mm-hmm. several therapeutic it. things, yeah, yeah. kind of could say, well, generally speaking, we're humanistic. So I would say generally speaking, narrative therapy is very humanistic. Yeah, but again, they do the existentialism thing pretty heavy too. Okay, so it might be just perfect for us. It's perfect for us. It's like it was written for us. <laughs> uh, written. Uh, I see what you did there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, and then we kind of take those stories so, you know, like, like you're saying, it's it's seeing the client as the expert of their own life. And, th- and that is not just in narrative therapy, especially in narrative, but not just where we say like, like I've said that to clients before, you are the expert in your own life, in your own stuff. I'm the expert of mental health. <laughs> like in this room, I've got the mental health stuff and you've got your life stuff. So let's combine those two areas of expertise and create some solutions. Ooh, I've never heard you say it that way. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Okay. Can I you can steal have that, that one for free? Okay. Yay! <laughs> I have a new one. <laughs> but especially like we look at the stories that the client has and, and they go back into their own expertise of their own life and look at these stories. And then we kind of use that together to see like what kind of meaning we place on different areas of our life, how we handle different areas of our life. Because we have different stories about all the different concepts in our life. We have a story about how relationships go. Mm-hmm. We have the story about how work goes. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these stories that have happened to us and we use that to kind of extrapolate. Right. And so stories about how a family functions. Exactly. Yeah. And so we might have these faulty stories built in that we need to be able to distance from and then look at a little more critically and objectively to see whether or not it's realistic. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, let's get into some like specific techniques of narrative therapy because I think that kind of carries us into like how what it actually looks like right. to when be we a narrative therapy. Let's do it. All right. Do you want to go first? Give me one of those hot techniques. One of those hot narrative therapy techniques. Well, we kind of already have been saying this over and over again, but I think the number one technique or whatever is actually telling your own story. Mm-hmm. Telling your story. Writing so your narrative. I putting, heard it yeah, yeah, putting together your narrative. And that's a good point. It doesn't necessarily have to be writing. You could right. just be telling You could it. Tell, tell a story. Yeah. 
According to the philosophy behind narrative therapy, storytelling is how we make meaning and find purpose in our own experience, is one of the quotes that I had picked out that I thought was powerful. So again, like Anna said, some therapists might assign, kind of like journaling, Mm -hmm. where you actually write your story down. Right. But I know Anna and I have talked about this. I'm kind of careful about who I ask to do writing. I usually ask the client, do you like to journal? Do you like to write? And and a a lot of times they kind of scrunch their nose at you mm-hmm. like oh god please don't make me journal right. you know so then we try different techniques you know yeah, I have a couple of clients who really like journaling and have mm-hmm. kind of come to it independently but and I I know this from my own experience too that it's just hard to keep up with journaling it's I like, know and then you I feel bad because do. you're not doing it yeah. and you feel like you're not I know yeah so so your narrative therapist might ask you to just tell your story in in session and this step is really important in trauma work I've done that with a couple clients where I don't know if I've ever gotten through the whole thing but we've like written the trauma narrative and that is an important part of like processing trauma and like there's there's even been clients where I like work with to do like chapter titles and we kind of like separate their life into that way yeah and even if they don't like go write the chapters, it's like a way to kind of categorize their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we I've done that with a client kind of almost like a timeline, mm-hmm. except instead of actual time, it was like each mark was a significant event, yeah. a significant yeah. event, but it was in order of sure. how it happened, you know. But yeah, and so then you t- you you talk about those things that happen that that sometimes you you have pushed down so far or you dissociated or whatever whatever however you want to look at that, mm-hmm. and then when you start to retell your story, I have had that experience. I'm sure you have too, Anna, with a client where they're talking and then all they say something like they're telling a story and they say it and then they just sit there like kind of surprised. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, I didn't realize that was such a big deal, but it really was. Yeah, or, it's a you little know. crazy when people like say something out loud that they've clearly never said aloud. Right. And then they're kind of like, oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kind of yeah. have this, the light you goes don't on. even have to say anything. No, no. They just kind of get it by hearing themselves say it. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important thing that writing your narrative, like I'll call this technique, just kind of in general, what that does it does let the client be the expert in their own life, but there's going to be things that take them by surprise. And that's where it kind of separates it. It lets them be an observer. It lets them sit back with the therapist, who's also being an observer to the situation, Mm -hmm. and critiquing their own stories. Not like editing, critiquing, but like looking critically at their own stories. Right. And being able to identify themes and being able to identify problems and, Mm -hmm. and spaces where it doesn't make sense and things that could be improved. So it lets them separate from it. By saying it out loud. And I I say that about journaling to clients where Mm. if they're having like really big feelings and stuff, I'm like, try writing it down and see if it hits you the same as if it's just in your head. Oh, that's good. Because it lets you separate from it. Well, and the other thing, because when it's just in our head, we keep repeating it. We repeat it. And we keep going back. And it goes fast. uh Uh-huh. And it's loud. And it's loud. Yeah. And we have (laughs) this thing. I think everyone has this thing kind of built in where it's like, well, if it's in my own head, it has to be true. We trust ourselves to some extent, even mm-hmm. if we do have really bad self-critique. I mean, the things that are in our head, it's like, well, I wouldn't be thinking that if it wasn't true. Mm. And when we write it out or say it out loud, we have the chance to be like, that mm. doesn't actually sound right, does it? Right, right. There's not a lot of fact in that. No, yeah. it just gives us a little bit more space from it. Okay. So we're calling that technique 
writing your narrative? Is that yeah, what we're calling telling it? Your story. Okay, telling your know. story, writing your narrative. Okay. But that relates to externalization, like uh-huh. especially what we were just talking about. That's very externalizing. That's allowing the client to create distance between themselves and the problem. And, right. And being able to say, like, this is a thing that I struggle with. Yes, this is a part of me, but it's not me. It's outside of me, and mm-hmm. it's something that I can face because right. it's not me. And narrative therapists are very into like naming it. Although I, you know, you and I have talked about that name it, claim it, tame it thing yeah, several times. Another big yeah. catchy, it's a catchy, that's a catchy therapy phrase, thing. but boy, it really works. Yeah. Um, but a narrative therapist will encourage you to name that thing, you know, and, and if, it, if you just want to name it anxiety, that's cool. Sure. But yeah. you could also name it something else, you know, that is specifically like, you know, being self-critical or, right. but you, you put it a label on that thing and then it's externalized from you. Well, it's not part like, of you. Okay. What are we fighting? Like right. when we have a label for it, we right. know what He's, we're trying. So now to there's on. Goliath. We can see yeah. Goliath standing there. It's not, you know, in internalized anymore. Right. Now he's out there. Don't make him as big as Goliath. I know. Maybe. Yeah, Goliath, but a, a wimpy Goliath. A little, a little skinny. <laughs> but sometimes our, our problems feel like Goliath, though. Yeah. They feel so overwhelming. They do. Whatever those things are. The next technique on my list is deconstruction. Do you yes, have that? Mine as well. So deconstruction is when we kind of, after we've externalized, we're able to break apart the stories that we hold close. We're able to deconstruct them. Again, it kind of goes back with the being able to look at it a little more critically. Because we can hold these stories for a really long time. Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of these stories we made in childhood. Right. Like like you said, like how a family functions and stuff. Right. That's from the family that we grew up around. If we right. grew up in a dysfunctional family environment, we're going to hold that as the story of how families work. Right. And, and very personally, who we are. As a person, you know, yeah. like, and that can be even like when you were like two or three years old mm-hmm. and people were saying, well, isn't she clumsy? She's so clumsy. Uh, Do you yeah. see how clumsy she you is? Internalize and you stuff. might not even have been like openly aware as a two or three year old, but that programming's going in there. Yeah. I just heard a girl the other night, a real pretty girl at our community theater, and she was talking about being clumsy. And she said, yeah, I'm just, I'm like that. And I mean, she's a beautiful dancer. But once in a while, she trips over things. Like, sure. I don't know, like human beings like humans do. humans do, sure. You know, and she was saying to her friends, I, I'm just clumsy. I'm just like that. I'm clumsy. And I <laughs> I kind of challenged her a little bit. <laughs> I was like, I just saw you dance, a beautiful dance on stage and got everything right. And right. now, you, you know, I said, you need to reprogram that girl. Cause I and I don't know where it came from, and of course she's not my client, so I didn't like say, "When do you think <laughs> like, was the first down. time?" Yeah. <laughs> Come to my office, baby. We got to talk this through. But you know, we all have some programming about who we are, sure, from very early in our yeah. life that maybe we're not aware of. But and and like, so you're using the word programming in narrative therapy. It would be that's the story that you have, right? That's the story that you're keeping, exactly. So that's we keep these stories and we use these stories to make those. General statements like those stories of someone you know your mom's friend saying you're clumsy that becomes your story your identity story right. and I, I saw the term reauthoring identity c- connected with like the the writing the narrative step mm-hmm. where these stories really are how we have built our identity and to rewrite those stories is to take more control of your own identity and be able to write that yourself that's right 
But yeah, those stories, especially the ones that are given to us by other people like that, are probably not accurate. They're right, not right. They're not ours. So it, the deconstruction gives us a chance to kind of pick them apart, to put them into smaller parts that are probably going to be more manageable. That's kind of where that like putting things in chapters comes in, mm-hmm. like where we can break them down into parts that we can process a little easier. So Anna, I'm asking you this question. So in okay, deconstruction... Yes technique is that is that also like trying to figure out where did it first come from i mean we do that like in emdr we do that where you try to find the original root yeah of that problem would that be part of that phase you think because i'm thinking i'm the i'm again i'm really full of my clients today because i was i just had one this past week adolescent one of her statements to me was she was talking about her family and she says about her brother being the smart one. Mm-hmm. But I know that this young woman is very intelligent. And I yeah. said, so he's smarter than you? And she said, well, yeah, he's the smart one. And I said, well, how did he get that label? And she said, everybody says it all the time. He's the smart one. Oh, I'm the pretty so one. He's the smart one. And I said, uh. You can be smart and too. And so that's, we're, we're working on changing that story for her, reauthoring that mm-hmm. story and saying, yeah, I am pretty, but I'm also smart. Just because your brother's smart doesn't mean you can't be smart or does, you know. Ding. Yes. We're just opening another. And that leads into the next technique I was going to talk about. Wow. The segues <laughs> are flying. They're flying. That's me, baby. I planned that. Bing, bong, bing. <laughs> That's how segues sound. The next technique that is finding alternate stories or they're called unique outcomes. So basically, after we have written our narrative and after we've deconstructed those stories, we're just giving an alternative. We're saying, so that's you saying to your client, okay, the alternative story here is you can be pretty and smart. Right. Or the alternative story is there can be two smart people in a family. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I don't exactly. know. And the poor youngest in the family is the one who's athletic, but really dumb and not too good looking. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. I said to her, I think maybe he should have to be on the I think we're going to need some. He's a jock, but he's ugly oh, dumb. I don't know. so sad. <laughs> we definitely need to deconstruct that one. Yeah. And, and, uh, Why are those things even connected with each other? That, that's so mean. Why is that the axis on which you are placing yourself? Exactly. How hot you are and how smart you are. I know those are important things, but there's other stuff. There's a lot of other stuff. But that's that's part of that. That's part of that finding unique outcomes where we like... You'd use the term helping those stories be unstuck, getting mm-hmm. those people unstuck from those stories. And so once we break the stories down and once we get them out and once we externalize that problem a little bit, we're able to find those different ideas and different themes. And we're able to help the client see that those stories that they have aren't as concrete as they thought they were. Mm-hmm. They aren't as set. They aren't like this is the only way it can be. That's not how life works. Right. So we're able to kind of consider alternate stories and then challenge the assumptions that came with the, the first story, basically. Right. And say, well, if it can be this other way, why can't it be that way? Why can't you author it to be that way instead of the way that you originally thought? That makes me think about when I work with like middle-aged and older clients, a lot of times they're having some kind of crisis about this is not the way I thought life was going to turn out kind of thing, you know, or they have this preconceived thing like this is how it has to be, Mm. you know, and then there's that incongruence because it's not happening that way. Yeah. So 
I think there are sometimes, especially when we get older, that we need to rewrite our story as far as like what we thought was going to be happening. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean it's going to be bleak. I mean, it just is different. Right. It's not maybe what you expected. Yeah, different doesn't uh, have to be bad. It's especially when you work with people maybe who are going through divorce mm, yeah. um, or or widowed or widowers and they and they feel like, you know, they had planned on their life being this way right. and now it's going to be very different and their stories are holding them back from making a new story. So to have a, a new unique story, something they haven't thought of before, an alternative ending, you know. Right. Okay. What do you have about the statement of position map? Yeah. <laughs> That's hard, it's right? Funny, it's funny that you said that because I... It's a hard concept I went grasp, back and I forth and tried to find like actual like, like examples. examples of it? I yeah. couldn't find it. So what do you have? So... What I could find was that this was developed, this is like one of White's techniques, like the develop, the person right. who developed narrative therapy. There are actually two, I had two names for the developers. Oh yeah, there Epstein. was another one. Epstein. Epstein. E-P-S-T-O-N. Not Epstein. No, I, although I always want to say that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. White is like the primary, yeah, but he did primary, have like there, a, he had a bud. There was an Igor yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Igor Epstein. <laughs> <laughs> not his real name david was his first david name oh epstein. we blocked on that Ooh, <laughs> david epstein yes yeah. i didn't i just didn't write it down <laughs> sorry david um david's like what about me yeah because he's probably still around because they just created this like in the 70s 80s although so he's white probably, white has died oh man white died when I'm, he was like 60 i was gonna say he must have been young yeah oh, i'm sorry to hear he was. that um, rest in peace yeah thank you for this contribution yes the statement of position map, which I don't even, <laughs> I don't know how you stupid draw name. It. It's a stupid name. I don't think it's an actual map. No, it's not a map. It's a list of things. One of mine says it's a simple handout that yeah. consists of four areas for the client to write about. Yeah. So in my brain, it's like it's got four sections on this handout Kinda. thing, but and I couldn't see an example of it. So hey, if you Google it, go. So for the it. one that the breakdown of sections that I found was uh-huh. section one is characteristics and naming or labeling of the problem so mm-hmm. that's Which, and th- and this is all like kind of what we've already talked right, about right. it's we, just like putting it in a condensed exactly thing. the second is mapping the effects of the problem through each domain of life so how that, is this problem affecting home how is it affecting work school relationships like mm-hmm. how is it affecting your life right so like if your problem that you labeled was depression mm-hmm. So then that's the that's in that first section that's depression is the name of that problem that's out here away from us depression. Right. And depression is affecting my home in this way, my work in this way. Okay? Right. So that's the second part. Then the third part which confuses me a little cuz the third part is evaluation of the effects of the problem in these domains. So I think that's like you know, like at, at work, I can kind of put it out of my head. So it doesn't really affect me oh, as much okay. at work. So that's my evaluation of it. Okay. But in my relationship, it really sucks because I never want to be intimate with my partner because of it. Right. So, okay. Okay. So it's just diving so a little deeper yeah, into Yeah, how, like, how much is it really affecting it? You know Okay. It, and then the fourth part is values that come up when thinking about why these effects are undesirable, which is, a, mm, I think, a wordy way to say like Thinking values. what your values are. Yeah, values yeah, and yeah, importance yeah. and stuff, which again, it goes back to like the, that's why we're examining these stories because the stories tell us what's important to us. Right. That kind of like overlaps and, and interweaves and whatever other word I can come up with, the idea of what your values are come out when you do your storytelling because you figure out why do I value that I have to be a positive you know or I'm a bad person because I'm not positive all the time where did that come from so then you tell your story and you realize "Eh." when I was a little kid you know my mom would say nobody likes a grumpy 
grump or whatever. <laughs> Nobody likes Nobody. a grumpy grump. <laughs> so I have to be happy all the time. I have even to be when happy, I'm not happy. happy. <laughs> and not a grumpy grump. <laughs> Nobody will invite a grumpy grump to their swimming party. <laughs> Because you don't like grumpy grumps in your pool. Like Grammy used to say, nobody will invite a grumpy grump to their swimming party. And then that becomes your story. (laughs) That's your story for your whole life. You base your whole life around that. Your whole valuation of your identity. (laughs) That's how simple and how complicated it can be. That's it. That's narrative therapy. So it sounds to me like the map is basically just a way to get it on paper. Yeah. It's kind of like what we were both talking about, like the timeline thing or yeah. the drawing out like this happened. This, I, we, yeah. It's just like you said before, it's just another name for something we do, but it's called sure. something different. Yeah. And it when I look at those somehow, even though they're broken into like specific categories, it makes less sense than just telling the story. The writing the narrative or the telling the story like it that as a concept to me makes more sense than like this specific i agree thing yeah so, this but, complicates it like right. you said this complicates but there it. are going to be some people who look at that and say okay that seems more manageable to me than just telling my story so right. it's just it's just giving different tools in the toolbox for what's going to work for different people because our brains all work differently exactly we always talk about that okay and that's a good thing to mention that this works really well with just kind of general expressive arts therapy because like you said everyone tells their story in a different way Mm -hmm. you know some people think of writing when they they think about their narrative and yeah that like when we think of narrative therapy it is very centered around writing Mm -hmm. but we tell stories in all kinds of ways you know music tells stories art tells stories and sometimes we need to be able to look outside of the box and look at some of those other things for people that maybe like they're not confident in their writing like if they don't think they're a good writer which is silly because this like art therapy it's not about the product it's not about how quote-unquote good it is right so when that's a really good point Anna when you hear the word narrative therapy your brain might automatic and we've been talking about writing a lot so your brain might either go to well I don't don't really tell stories very well or right. I don't write very well. I'm not a good that's, writer. That's not whatever. the point of yeah, it. So you it. can't just like you said, in art therapy, if you hear the word art therapy and you think, well, I wouldn't like that because I'm not an artist, well, you might really love it because right. you don't have to be an artist. You don't to have to like be a it. good artist and also you're probably a better artist than you think you are. Exactly. So, so yeah, it can be really good for that if if writing just isn't really your style i mean some people are going to resonate better with art and maybe they can express that story better through arts like visual art it's also really good for kids art and play therapy both are going to be better usually for kiddos especially like going through narrative therapy like you and i were just talking a couple weeks ago or whatever about uh, like dollhouse like having a dollhouse in your in your office and Mm -hmm. using that as tell tell the the story story about your family or whatever yeah by using props and play. Yeah. Uh-huh. Sometimes that's really scary with little ones. Yeah. When they start being really violent with the little pieces and <laughs> yeah. saying mean things. and But that tells a lot. It, it does. It's very eye-opening. Do you remember, Anna, that we threw a different professor under the bus a minute ago, but this professor, <laughs> a different professor in grad school, and she had us do a, an activity. And now in my brain, I can't remember what the point of it was exactly but technically it was narrative therapy where we had to tell kind of the story of our life or the story of our journey it was in trauma it was in 
trauma class because we were talking about the trauma narrative. Well, you did I it think. about you did it about visual art. You showed some of your art pieces. I thought it was the other professor because I did Taekwondo. Oh, you that remember was, that, that? Was an arts class. Was it art? I think. But, but when I think back on that, that was like narrative therapy because our assignment was to kind of tell our story, including our our traumas and our victories or whatever, but to use some kind of art form. Yeah. And because you used visual art, like you created art, didn't you? I did. That I, I created art. But, but most of the assignments in that were like doing something narrative, like personal storytelling within right. different media because i remember doing like a, a music thing too right we did like yeah yeah but that's something that maybe your if your therapist might have you do or technically you could do it on your own to think of a way to to put your life story as long mm-hmm. as you're telling your story mm-hmm. into either drawn or painted artwork or like i said i used martial arts when i did mine yeah and when um, i did the music one i used other songs like i kind of made like a playlist of songs that were like important and like represented different stages of my life so it's right. not like you even have to like if you're kind of going into this and saying like i'm not like you're telling yourself that you're not creative enough to just do this from nothing like right. you can use already made artworks to represent things exactly about your life exactly that's a really good point and with the wonder of the internet now with the wonder of the internet but that's the other thing like and i said this to you before we started recording that I think when I think about narrative therapy, one of the things that I think about is like how we use already made, like fiction as a way to relate to our own stories and lives. Right. I have a friend who's a therapist who uses Harry Potter all the oh, time. Oh, I bet. But there... Oh, that's a good one. There's a lot of themes in Harry Potter. There's a lot of... It's dense. It There's is something dense. to connect to. One of our kind of fellow mental health podcasts, Capes on the Couch, talks about like comic book characters and yeah. and, and the mental health of, of comic book characters. And so there's people who do like specifically comic book therapy. But I mean, I, I think that is another place. And, and we can do that with, you know, fiction books. I mean, people like different, like to read different kinds of books because they identify with different characters right. and they identify with different themes and like it's a way to kind of explore those themes in a safe controlled way mm-hmm. but again and i and that's what i said to you before we started recording i couldn't find a lot about that with well and maybe therapy. that's just something different but maybe. we but we put <laughs> sure. it there because we uh, the word narrative you know right maybe we in our brain yeah i think i kind of you made that up i did <laughs> it's mine no one's ever so thought of that before. copyright that tm 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 <laughs> Did you did you have a lot about what it's used for specifically? Just the long everything basically. Kind of, yeah. Because because it said you can use it as individual, you can use it in couples, you can use it with families, you can use it for anxiety, depression, PTSD. It'd be hard I mean, to do in families, I think, because it's all about personal stories. But in a way, because because I recently with a family that I have, I had them tell the story of. They had just gone through like a six-month period of a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. And I said, so let's tell the story together. And so like I said, okay, let's start on this month and this. And then who wants to start? And the littlest one actually started it by saying once upon a time, which I thought was very cute. cute. She's seven. Once upon a time. And then it was interesting because like one would be saying something and then somebody would say, what? And I would say, wait, you have to let them end their section and then you can. But they would contradict each other a lot. 
so that okay, kind of points okay. out I like guess, well, so yeah, the same work. thing happened in the house but you three all saw it differently yeah look you know how different perspectives right can affect but in that. a way that was storytelling i yeah. mean it was it was narrative therapy in a way yeah, definitely and then we we reflected about how we saw things differently which is a huge thing in family and couples counseling that that you think about how just you look at things in different ways through different right. lenses and yeah, to be aware thing, of that. The, the kind of overarching principle that I saw for narrative therapy was like, if something feels too big and overwhelming, this is a good way to kind of break it down. Mm. Specifically, they talked about how Michael White himself was known for his work. This is cool. He was known for his work with uh, children and in indigenous aboriginal communities. Really? Yeah. That's um, really interesting. And he worked specifically with schizophrenia, anorexia, bulimia, men's violence and trauma hmm. and ooh girl this is good for trauma i bet he was using the trauma work with the indigenous people probably so but like we talked about how the trauma narrative is a huge part of trauma processing right and just like realizing how those trauma stories affect us and how we use that to inform our worldview and and how we can distance ourselves from that trauma and realize that we are not that trauma Right. And remember, because a lot of times when I hear the word trauma, I think of capital, we've big done this before, trauma. big T trauma, like huge things that happen to people. And so then sometimes we, and this is kind of a part of our story too, that we think, ah, mine isn't that bad. Right. My trauma is not that big a deal. It's not actually even trauma. Mm -hmm. Well, it probably is. Yeah. But because yeah. there's trauma that goes from that lady saying you were clumsy when you were three is kind of a drama because yeah. it set up your story for your whole life to think you were clumsy for exactly. God's sake, you know? So yeah, we might not generally as a society say, oh, that's trauma. But for your story, that might have been a trauma. Right. Something that others might look at objectively and say, that's not really a big deal. Might have actually been very traumatic for you. Yeah. So, so don't ever underestimate. Which again goes back to the perspective thing. Exactly. And it's your story yeah. and you are... You own your story. And I think that's something that I've had to say to clients a lot that when we kind of, again, it's not like I'm a narrative therapist, but like you said, we do this stuff. Right. This is stuff that we do, even if we're not calling it writing your narrative. Right. But they'll be like telling their story and then kind of veer off into like other people and how they're seeing it and how it's affecting them. And I have to be like, they're not in here. I don't <laughs> care what they think. Like, this is about you, and this is about how you're seeing it, and this is mm -hmm. about how you're processing this story. So let's focus on you. I have a feeling, Anna, I mean, I've never been in the room when you do therapy, but I have a feeling that you are really good at being an advocate for your clients. Like, yeah, like I'm a little bit of a cheerleader. Too. Yeah, I was going to say, I didn't want to use the cheerleader yeah, no, term I'm because I do, I am. Oh, a, I definitely yeah. cheerlead. Yeah. I just had a client who, when he came in this week, he was just in a state. He was just kind of pissed at the world. Mm. And then the next day, he sent me a text that was like, hey, took a mental health day, really needed it. Aww. Thank you for listening to me. Aww. And that was just like, I was like, I'm so proud of you for taking a mental health day. I'm uh -huh. so proud of you for doing that work. Like, I'm always just really proud of my clients, I guess. I know I say to my clients sometime, and it's probably easier for me because I'm older than you, and you probably have some clients who might be older than you. That doesn't matter. But I still call everyone kiddo. <laughs> <laughs> I do. 70-year-old woman in your I office. Am. I'm okay, like, kiddo. Thanks for coming in, kiddo. We'll see you next week. I recently was somewhere with a friend of mine who is also my age, and the waitress said to us, okay, kids. Now, granted, <laughs> I think she was probably even older than us. <laughs> But so when she left genuine. the table, I looked at him and I was like, we're kids. <laughs> I was That's like, adorable. yay, made my 
my day. <laughs> Only you a seven, a seventy-five-year-old waitress waiting on me could call me a kid. I guess I don't know, but yeah, we... that's really cute. <laughs> but I was thinking that one of the techniques that I read about was like visualization uh-huh. in this narrative therapy, where you visualize the story, and that that brings in a lot of ideas. But that I've used, especially with clients who seem to have a hard time, like their story is preventing them from having very much hope for the future. Mm-hmm. You know, their yeah. story is, well, now I'm old and I don't have anything else that I'm going to accomplish. So I have them take time to kind of like meditation, but visualizing. So sitting and and literally, you know, closing your eyes and, and picturing yourself in five years, picturing yourself, where are you? And, and, and make it a, you know, you hear this kind of cliche. Make it a vivid story. Right. It's, it's like a cliche of like, think positive. Well, yeah. yeah, this is what this is. You, you visually, you think about what you're wearing and you think about, yeah, you've aged a little, but you look great, you know, and <laughs> you have that new car that you've always wanted or the job that you really want, or you have found that significant other that, that you didn't think was going to happen. And wow, it happened, you know, and Back in the 70s, that was that big thing about, you know, visualize what you want and think positively and speak positively. <laughs> well, it's really pretty visualize. true. Visualize. Put it in your brain <laughs> as an image. But do you do a visualization with your clients a lot? Not very often. Once in a I while. I do sometimes. But like, like I, I don't even do it. I like recommend like Yeah, that's kind of what I do. Stuff or an app that has like a, sleeping. Yeah. yeah. I do sometimes when someone is really like anxious in their body like mm. they're tense and they're I do the like relaxing thing yeah. with them sometimes the like tense and release yeah. is good for yeah that. I've, I've used it too with and that's kind of storytelling too that someone comes and sits with them like in a in a meditation visualization kind of thing where someone that they really trust comes and sits with them and gives them affirmation basically it's kind of cool because I like it's that. yeah it's one of those things like a lot of things we do You'll do it with one client and they're like, oh, that is so cool. That was awesome. And then you do another client and it's over and they look oh at you God. like, and you're like, yeah. okay, we're never going to do that again. <laughs> Duly okay. noted. Okay. Marking I'm sorry. Marking chart that uh, <laughs> that is not good for you. Do not do that to this client again. <laughs> and even sometimes it's even before you start. I did EMDR with a client one time and oh I was, God. well, I was going to because I thought it EMDR is one of those. We have a, uh, yeah. an episode on EMDR, right? Yeah, we do. But it's, it's one of those like they have to really buy. They it. have to believe that it's yeah. going to work and they have to want to go because it's it's out there. It's out there, man. Yeah. But this particular client, I said, I explained it to her and she just looked at me like, <laughs> You're like nope, never mind. <laughs> and I said, eh, we're going to not do that. <laughs> On second thought. <laughs> Let's talk about this narrative therapy, shall we? <laughs> okay, switching topics. <laughs> There's like this section in one of the articles that I read about it says a list of questions that will lead into narrative therapy. And I'm reading through them. I'm like, that's just, that's just basic just therapy, therapy questions. Huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like what I ask when they come in for the first time. And I even, this was kind of weird, but I when I was looking at articles, there was a, like a video popped up, like a YouTube thing. Mm-hmm. And it was obviously used for like instruction in a university or something. But it was like those things we used to watch in grad school. Right. And it's so scripted. You just kind of want to go, oh my God. <laughs> It's painful so, and the to therapist watch it. like, okay, so what I hear you saying is, oh my god. But I mean, he used like every cliche that yeah. we, you know, which I have to say, sometimes I use those cliches because well, they were. That's why they're cliches. That's exact. I just said that the other day to somebody. <laughs> the way they became cliches is that we actually we do use that. Them a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cliches aren't bad. It's just we need to use them sparingly. We need to 
not just use them. <laughs> and sometimes call out that they are a cliche, right. but it's true. Yeah. yeah. So I think if I had to give like an overall statement about narrative therapy, it would be that it's... What's your story about narrative therapy? What's your narrative about narrative, narrative therapy? therapy. <laughs> it said it is very humanistic. Yeah, definitely. And the existential piece in it... Is looking for that meaning in the story. Right. And, and, and it is, you know, I did read somewhere in there that basically narrative therapy does not ascribed the idea that there is absolute truth yeah it is very um like one of the things i saw was reality is a social construct which right. i kind of love right. that right. i say that about everything money is a social construct time mm-hmm. is a social construct there's a lot of things that are social constructs but i mean that means that they're real and that we kind of ascribe to them to be in society but it also means we have control over what it looks like right there's some malleability there i right. guess Going back to grad school again. This is kind of like the reflection on grad school <laughs> episode. This is bringing up a lot. <laughs> there was an assignment where we had to write about whether or not we believed there was absolute truth. And for me, that was a hard... I must have blocked that That out. was a hard assignment because <laughs> sure. of my spirituality and the story of my religious upbringing. Right. And the way that I was... And I'll go back to my programming word because that's the word I use for story. yeah. yeah. My programming is absolutely there's black and white, there's right and wrong. And I still I'm not telling I'm not saying that I don't believe that anymore, but it's there's very gray in between. It's very different than what I used to believe. Yeah. And I do still believe that there are a few absolute truths, but if that has not been your story to learn those truths the way I learned them, then my story is different than yours. Yeah. Yeah. So And so everyone's it's, story it's, is different. Exactly. I think that's why this is important because everyone's narrative is different. No matter right. what you've gone through, like you you have your own story and there is value in finding your own voice and using your own voice to tell your story. Right. And I think one of the reasons I like some of the stuff in this narrative therapy is that it really does validate for me as a therapist that one of the things I go back to is exactly what you just said. Over and over with my clients, I go back to the, this is you. This is not anybody else. And your brain is unique to you. And and your backstory, your life, your story, mm-hmm. is different than everybody else. Even if you had a twin brother or sister exactly. growing up, you're still going to be different because your brains are slightly different. And you're, yeah. you know, you're seeing things one, moment. one foot to the left. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Your perspective is over that far. <laughs> Even in the womb, you're, exactly. you know, so... I, I really embrace that idea that we are all such individuals. Yeah. That there's not one thing that's going to work for all of us and, and there's not one way to look at things. It's actually very exciting. It's kind of terrifying, but, but it's exciting. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's very challenging, overwhelming to think about, holy crap, then how do you do therapy if every single person is different? There's this concept called, I think, Sonder. I'm going to look it up. Is Sonder a real word? Well, that's, okay, it's of or relating to a small class of racing yachts. That's not what I, <laughs> shall oh, we go yachting? No, it's this one. It's um, the realization that each random passerby is living a life as vivid and complex as your own. <gasps> oh, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. Oh, I have that all the time, Anna. Yeah, dude, isn't that, isn't that weird Especially feeling? like when I'm in a really crowded place. I remember when I was very little mm-hmm. at Disney, like one of the first times I oh, remember Disneyland feeling would be a hard time Disney World. That. And I remember being a little kid. I mean, little kid, I don't know, 10, 12, something. But sitting there thinking, 
oh my God. Well, from my perspective at that time, it was like a spiritual thing. Like God created each of oh, these sure. people and God loves each of these people exactly the same as he loves me or, you know, yeah. equally or whatever. And it freaked me the heck out. It's just realizing that everyone has their own personal <gasps> world, like yeah. inner world and ambitions and thoughts and desires and struggles. And it, it's kind of like our like brain yours. can't wrap around no, that. No, it's a Because it's, it's a infinity it's kind much. of, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, it's, it's too much. Yes. But this is kind of what that is. It's it's not only realizing that everyone has their own personal world, but saying that personal world is important. And right. by exploring that personal world, you can understand yourself and other people better. Oh, that's so deep, dude. That is so deep. <laughs> this maybe should have been the marijuana episode oh, that fine. we... <laughs> can everyone be the marijuana episode? Can they all... <laughs> No, that was really good, though. Okay. That was probably should be like a closing thought. Oh, I don't bummer. know. Okay. Do you have other closing thoughts? I mean, it's not really a closing thought. It's kind of a sidebar. I kind of wanted to talk about D&D as therapy. But I oh, don't, cool. I don't know if that fits in this episode. It's storytelling, though. How about just like a little taste of it, and then we it, could maybe do a whole do- episode okay. on those kind of things, yeah. role play and stuff. Because I obviously have a really big connection with D&D. Like, I've played D&D for several years. Like, the group that I'm in now, I've played with for, you know, almost weekly for almost a year. Wow. And, and I really consider them, like, close friends. So not only has it given me, like, you know, that social aspect, and that's a huge part of how D&D can help, but... I kind of look at it as narrative therapy because it lets you, it kind of links back to like externalizing and looking for like alternate stories and unique outcomes. It like puts you in the place of a character who is unlike you, sometimes very unlike you. I mean, you can be kind of whoever you want in D&D and it lets you see through someone else's eyes. So it kind of builds that empathy, but you know, it gives you a safer place to work through stuff and explore things and maybe face some challenges that would be too overwhelming to face in real life. Mm. So it kind of gives you this manageable way to face certain fears or situations that would be way more stressful in reality, but you're doing it through a level of detachment through this like level of fiction and play. Mm-hmm. So that's my little sidebar of how like D&D connects to like narrative therapy. And maybe what we could do in a future episode is to do something about all of those ideas about why why we enjoy role play and how it is good mm-hmm. for us. Not like in games like that, sexual role play. Oh, yeah. Or even Same just thing. being on a stage sure. and being a different character yeah. than you are in real life. That's very linked to that. Um, we should do a whole episode on that. That'd be kind of cool. Okay. Right. Okay, it's a plan. It's a plan, man. Okay. So I would give thumbs up to narrative therapy. <laughs> Yeah, overall thumbs ruling, up. thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, thumbs up. Yeah, five out of five stars for narrative therapy. So if you currently have a counselor, a therapist, and this is interesting to you, you might want to just say to them, hey, we do something like narrative therapy, or maybe you're doing something like it that you just haven't ever heard that yeah. word, because like we've talked about, we, we kind of... And if you're not in therapy, first of all, why not? Why not? Why aren't you in therapy? Everybody should be in therapy. Go to therapy. <laughs> but if you're, even if you're not, or if you like, don't want to ask your therapist about it, the uh, the statement of position map was one that I saw as like very accessible to like people who are not actively undergoing narrative therapy. Mm-hmm. So that like the 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 four things that we mentioned. If you look up statement of position map, it's not super easy to find it, but you can find like the four areas that it kind of talks about and they kind of talk about how that is an easy way to start that kind of 
externalizing and separating and right. processing thing. And I'm not going to give any specific titles of books because I don't want to like plug anybody specifically. Because <laughs> they're not paying Because us. they're not paying me. So hey. <laughs> but if that's another thing, like if you Google or, or look on Amazon or whatever, or go to your local bookstore, there are several like workbook-ish books linked to narrative therapy. They might not call it narrative therapy, but it's about yeah. writing your story right. or... And so there, if you're that kind of like self-help kind of person that you like to do that kind of stuff, there are lots of books out there like that. So yeah. go for it. Awesome. Okay. May I thank our listeners? Please do. Listeners, thank you for being with us. Uh, we really appreciate that you continue to join us uh, for these episodes of Freudian Sips. And um, it's the month of thanks. It's Thanksgiving month. We do Spooktober. So this is... Thanks-tober. Thanks-tober. thanks Vember. <laughs> that sounds dirty for some reason. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> Does it? But in this month of thanks, uh, we are very thankful for you, Sipsters. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yes, we are very thankful for you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being patient with us while real life keeps us from doing regular episodes sometimes. If you want more of us, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're Freudian Sips Pod on everything. Our site is FreudianSipsPod.com. And our email is FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. And if you are going to uh, leave us a review, then maybe you can send us an email and we'll send you a sticker. sticker. Please remember to leave us a nice rating and review if you can do that wherever you're listening. Apple, Podchaser, any of those are awesome. In the meantime, our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. <laughs> <laughs>